This is David's Book Talk, bringing authors and book lovers together in a unique way since 2009. Visit us at davidsbooktalk.com and join the conversation at facebook.com slash davidsbooktalk. But first, pull up a chair, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Here's your host, David English. Hello and welcome to David's Book Talk, and today we're going to talk to... Uh, PJ Tracy, who, and we're really talking to Tracy Lambrecht. Uh, unfortunately, her mother passed away, and we will discuss that. And her new book is called The Guilty Dead. It's the new monkey wrench novel. Hello. Hello, David. How are you? What a, what a foggy cover this is. It's very foggy. The book's very foggy, too. No, actually, it's not. It's, it's very sharp, but, yeah, it's spooky. And I've heard, it's, um, I've heard from a lot of, of people and reviewers that it's a little bit different. It has a different tenor. It's a little bit darker than previous Monkey Wrench novels. It's really good. I'm, I mean, it's really, I'm really enjoying it. And we have, we have to say that your mom passed away in December of 2016. Now, we haven't done an interview since that day, so. Right. I, you know, it's just been, I mean, when I first heard about it, I was in such shock, I couldn't believe what I was reading, you know, it just like, what? You know, I know, and she was so young. She was only seventy when she passed. So. It's like it's like when you watch, when you turn on a TV and and you you hear them talking about something. Recently, would be Aretha Franklin, but and you wonder why are they talking about this person so much? Did something happen to them? I know, and then you're like, oh no. And then you then you're like really upset. I mean, I can hear Aretha singing right now. You know, it's like I know. Well, isn't that the truth? I know what a great loss. And I mean, just you know, all the people. I mean, in 2016 too. I mean, you know, Prince and you know, just dozens of others. I mean, it's just it's, well, that must have been the hardest Christmas you've ever spent, December 2016. It had to be awful for you. Well, it was um, it was hard because she passed just a few days before Christmas, and um, it was. Christmas, what you know, was PJ. I mean, that was her thing, and she made it special my entire life. And you know, for my father and I, and I just remember, you know, my father and I sitting alone under the Christmas tree, which she had helped decorate. Well, she didn't help decorate; she wasn't too ill to decorate, but she certainly wasn't too ill to uh, direct us and tell us where every ornament should go and how the lights were so screwed up on the side we had to redo them. But you know, just sitting there, it was she. You know, I've never felt a loss so profound, and yet I felt her um, spirit there so deeply. I mean, she was absolutely there. And that really, I mean, that hasn't changed for me at all. I mean, she was such a, a robust, vivid, vivacious, amazing person. And, you know, just because she is gone, you know, corporally, she is just, you know, you can't, you know, she's just there, and it's it's really wonderful. I mean, you know, writing, writing, of course, is my enduring tether to her, and, you know, I hear and feel her when I do it, which is part of the reason that, you know, writing after such a shocking thing has been a delight for me and has been going really, really well. Now, Mom wanted you to continue, I'm sure. I mean, it... Absolutely, 100%. And she wanted me to continue doing, you know, whatever I wanted, continue the Monkey Red series, do whatever I wanted. But, you know, I mean, we're both writers at heart from the time we were kids. You know, with our crayons, we were writing stories instead of coloring, you know, between the lines. So, um, but, you know, PJ was always, she always knew I would. 
Well, it's interesting. People, people must be thinking, well, how is she writing them? If, if they both run them together and it's just one person, now how is she doing everything? I mean, it didn't... I mean, well, I, you know, it's, <clears throat> we've been doing it for a really long time, and, and when I get asked that question, I always tell people, you know, probably the most um, easy-to-understand answer is that the voice of P.J. Tracy was never my voice, and it was never P.J.'s voice, but it was one that we created together and kind of, you know, you know, the sum is greater than the equal parts. And so it was like our own language, and, and so it was kind of easy for me to pick up because, you know, it was a foreign language. And it was, you know, one only, you know, she and I spoke. So I'm, I'm the last native speaker of P.J. Tracy, I guess. Right. Right, your your voice is really coming through clearly because I, I can hear like an echo in the background almost. Oh, David, I'm like next door. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. I mean, you're coming. At, some authors you have to tell them to speak up to even hear them, or you know, or, or it's not as easy to hear what they're saying. You know. Oh, I'm, I'm projecting. I'm I'm a trained opera singer, so. Are you really? Is that true? I that is true. Oh, I, I didn't know that. So, I mean, these novels, this is the ninth novel. In it the is. It's hard to believe it's not. I can't even believe it's nine. Next one will be ten. I guess you're, you're, you're working on ten now, even as we... Yep, even feverishly as, working. Really? Feverishly? Feverishly on deadline at the end of, the, of September. How so, high yeah. does your fever get when you're... <laughs> What's that? I said, how hard? How high does your fever get while you're working? <laughs> like, I'm 125. Really? <laughs> Had a death valley do you, do you not do you like not answer the phone if people call you just like let, leave me alone I'm writing leave me alone yeah I unplug the phone no I think everybody knows better when I'm in this little thing but of course I always take a phone call from you David yes that's right <laughs> I'm the only one you take the phone call from I mean, <laughs> you know there are writers out there and it, it's awful for me because as an interviewer wanting to interview these writers every sometimes you you want to interview them and the, and the publicist will tell you no they're writing they they come back from from being on book tour and then they go right to writing i'm like well where does that leave any time for me right exactly <laughs> and the thing is i mean it's you know part of your job it's not just writing we were speaking earlier about you know the old cliche about the artist you know up in the garret and never anyone and the only job is writing but that's not the only job I mean you have to tour and you have to do interviews and I think most importantly you really have to be accessible to your readers and to your fans and you know making that connection is really important and and for me it's important and I know it's important for the readers and for the fans as well so I yeah I never got that I mean I suppose maybe you've been doing it for so long you're super exhausted but the truth is writers you know if you're what you know, doing a book a year, you are always writing. You are always busy. So mm -hmm. you have to make time for because this is important. And I, I tell you, I learn more about my process myself sometimes when I'm doing an interview because it's kind of off the cuff and you start thinking, it's like, oh, yeah, this is how I do this. Or, well, right. you know, so it's instructive, too. I mean, I get it. I'm never going to interview Nora Roberts. Never. It's never going to happen because she's <laughs> never going to have any time. The woman writes 70 hours a week. Do you think she's still writes? I don't think she even has time to go to the bathroom. 
she's wearing those Depends underwear. Right? I mean, I've never seen a woman so prolific in my life. I mean, every it seems she's almost the James Patterson of. Right. You know, it's like, and she's been at it forever and ever, and that's why us it's like. I think she's going backward in time instead of forward. I don't think she's aging at all. I think she's just she's just getting younger every with every book. She hears me say that she'll definitely want me. She'll definitely let me in. <laughs> yeah, she's got a secret. We all want to know it. But she's sarcastic, as I've heard her interviewed. She can be very sarcastic, you know, because you can imagine what what questions she get asked. You know, why do you have two names? Why? Do you have, <laughs> why why do you have to hide behind another name? What's all that about? It's like, can't she just be Nora Roberts? <laughs> she may have more names than we even know. So I guess, I mean, I and I don't understand that whole aspect of a writer having a, a new name or writing under a different name. It's just, it's just weird to me. Dean Koontz did it. I think he has 17 different names. What? Sir? I had no idea. You're kidding me. No. He's got, like, Brian Coffey's a name, and, and he even, I think he even wrote some um, really risque books back then. Oh, did you? Well, you, you know, know what? I remember reading in, in the late 70s a Dean Koontz book, and he was, and it, it was, it was risque. I mean, it was, like, yeah, yeah. Well, he doesn't like to talk about it. And it, and you know what? And they keep changing the titles of his books, so you're not even sure you've bought them or not. Well, it's kind of like Stephen <laughs> King. Remember, you know, the Robert Richard Bachman. Ba and Richard then, Bachman, yes. Richard Bachman, right. Yeah, and you don't know. Who's no, Richard think, Bachman? You know, you're like, what? Right, yeah, who is this? And then it comes out later, and you're Stephen King, and then you're like, double what? But I, yeah, I think that sometimes, like, publishers maybe will encourage, it's like, well, you're known for this genre, and if you use your name for another one, people aren't going to read it. And I, you know, I don't know if there's truth to that, to that or not. But you know I, how freaky it is, this, this new author, you've heard of this Riley Sager? Yeah. I know this man. I used, I, when I worked at the bookstore, he came to the bookstore once. So oh, I, really? So I figured, oh, good, because I've read both of the books, and they're both, I love them both. And I, I thought, well, this will be an easy end. I'll just tell him I know him from the bookstore, and he'll... <laughs> oh, and, and not so. <laughs> and, but he was, he was, he didn't even respond. His publicist said, leave him alone. Don't, don't, don't talk to him. Oh. So now it's like, oh, my God, I can't, I'm never going to get to interview this guy. He know what he's missing out on. <laughs> no, it's terrible, but it's like, I can't even get a response from him. Well, you're the funnest interview in the world. I know, but tell him that. If you ever see him, I tell like, him that. I'm going to send him an email. Right? <laughs> a nasty good email. Luck, good luck trying to, well, see, you have, they won't tell you to shut up because you're an author. They, they can't tell you. <laughs> well, to you never know. <laughs> But let's talk, let's talk about the guilty dead. Now, this is this is the one. Uh, this this very rich guy is 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 dead. We just don't know how. What happened to this guy? Right, Gregory Norwood. Right. And and you know what's going. This is the basis for the book now. But there's also a side thing where somebody's on his property, and this person is is, is killed also. So I mean, what what's what's going on in this story? Well, um, it begins, um, basically, Gregory Nord, very wealthy, pillar of the community, you know, beyond reproach. And um, he's, his son overdosed on heroin. And so on the one-year anniversary of his son's overdose, or overdose, overdose. Yeah, either, either one works. Um, <laughs> he commits suicide. And so when the detectives go to investigate, it looks, it seems like it's kind of a cut-and-dried suicide. But then... Um, um, they find a journalist murdered also on his property, and they begin to realize, oh, he was murdered. And 
you know, now, why? So, you know, a huge part of the book is dedicated to that. And I think probably the premise for me is always thinking that one of the most intriguing things about mystery and why crime fiction is so beloved and enduring is in part because we all love to solve puzzles, but also because it involves secrets. And we're all, you know, human nature, we're all so voyeuristic, and I think we all want to read about other people's secrets, you know, that don't belong to us, right? And so this goes back to you know, 20 years to another murder, and it's just filled with more secrets than any of the books, which is saying something. So it's kind of a family dynasty coming apart and, and sort of a, an analysis of, of their past, and I guess that was the inspiration for the book. And there's a lot of humor in this book. There's an awful lot of humor, because there's, you know, there's pregnancy humor, and <laughs> just like, Lee, I don't know if you've read Lisa Scottelisian's book. Her, her character's pregnant, too, so I thought... Oh! No, I've read her. I love her, but I haven't read anything recently. I can't read when I write, so. But she she's so funny the way she's. I mean, it just provides more 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 things you can laugh about with. I mean, she can write really funny stuff about being pregnant. <laughs> yeah, who knew, right? And well, Lisa's been pregnant, so she knows what it's like. You know? She knows what it's like. I know, right? What you know, huh? I don't think you have to. I don't think you have to make notes to you. Pretty much remember when you're pregnant and what yeah, it's like. Sure. Delibly, you don't blazon that in your brain. You'll never forget. But I mean, it's it's just something that that provides so much humor. I mean, simply watching a woman who's six or seven months pregnant is humorous sometimes. The old pregnancy wobble. <laughs> exactly, that big basketball thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but and that's what is in this book too. Grace is 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 pregnant, and she's acting weird too. And she is. And I think all pregnant women act weird. They will tell you that. I've never been pregnant, but they all say, I was so weird when I was pregnant. I wonder what caused it. Is it like that your your their hormones? Or yeah, the hormones it? are all way out of whack. And you have these you have these urges for different weird weird things, you know. Pickles weird and food and like why would pickles be one thing you, you crave? I don't understand that. Yeah, what salt, sour? I have no idea. And then the whole nesting thing, I remember hearing this from PJ and from many people, is that when it's getting really close, they go and they rearrange all the furniture in the house. So it's in these tight little clusters like a nest. Really? Yeah. So I guess we haven't fallen too far off the tree. Now, were you you weren't working on this book when your mom was still alive, were you? No, no, I wasn't actually um started yeah, it was well that's kind of a story in itself. Um, you know, obviously it was a, a major trauma and um I just kind of didn't know how I was going to react. You never know how. You can be prepared for it, but you're just right. never prepared for the aftermath. And you know, a couple of weeks after she passed, I thought, well, I you know, I I'm a writer. I will always write, but I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to continue the Monkey Wrench series because that was ours. And I finally decided, well, you know, there's one way to find out, sit your butt down in the chair and get in front of the computer and see. And it was actually a really stunning thing because I could not stop writing. And it's literally two weeks after she had passed. And I wrote and I wrote. I was just like a woman possessed. It was destroying. And you didn't, you didn't feel weird that you, without mom thinking, you know. I, how much. No, and I think part of it was that you know when I was writing, you know she was with me. You know I could hear her voice and and just you know being in the book, 
you know, mm-hmm. she was still there. So I think part of it was sort of a way of, of dealing with grief. But, so, I mean, you'll find this really amazing, as I did. You know, a book takes at least a year to write, if not more. I mean, even when you're on deadline, it's like, no, I need more. I need, you know, 14 months or 16 months. It's hard to write, you know, a full-length novel. And I had the first draft of The Guilty Dead finished in five months from start. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy, and it was the most intense writing experience that I know that I'll never have that experience again, as I can attest writing Monkey Wrench number 10 right now, which is going really well, but it, it didn't happen in five months. So I'm wondering why this book's called The Guilty Dead. I'm thinking, you know, why is it called The Guilty Dead? I'm trying. To, I'm still trying to, and I'm getting, I'm starting to formulate an idea in my head about why it might be called that. Now, we should mention it's from Crooked Lane Books. You're with, are you with a new publisher, or is it still part of Penguin? I'm a little oh, confused. Oh, it's not part of Penguin. No, Crooked Lane is a brand new publisher this year, and they have been just amazing. Love them. But so you're a lead title. Yes, Yeah. Wow! I mean, I got—I literally got that on my book. It says lead title. I'm like, oh, oh, wonderful! Oh, really? Well, I didn't know it said so on the book. Well, I did, it's just this little sticker that said lead lead title for your consideration. Oh, cool! I'm a lead title. Well, that's what it says here. I mean, I, I and you didn't even know it, and you're the author. You, know, you think they tell you? I never get. Well, I get arcs, but they don't have the stickers on them. So right, that's it. Well, I got the arc first, and it didn't have the sticker, and then I got this in the mail like last week, I think, and there it was. I'm like, wow, how cool! Well, oh my gosh, well, I'm so impressed. That's right. So, who? Be, be honest now. Who was the first author that contacted you after your mother passed away? You know, I don't even remember. It was such a blur, and there were so many. There were so many people, and such a huge outpouring. I really, honestly, have no idea. Mm-hmm. But there were so many, and you know, people from the past, and you know, people who worked on her website ten years earlier, and you know, were no longer working. I mean, it was just amazing. You know, right. the outpouring, and that always is so helpful too, because you know, you're just getting all the support from you know colleagues and. <laughs> You know, fellow authors and, you know, fans and friends and family you forgot you even had. Right. So when will number 10 be finished, do you think? Number 10 will be finished by the end of September. Really? That's only a month away. Yeah, that's why I'm writing nonstop. And, yeah, sitting up in my garret smoking opium. (laughs) (laughs) When did the series start taking off and when did it really become successful? I mean, was it from the first book or did it take off? It was right off the bat with Monkey Wrench. Really? Yeah, in 2003, and it just got, you know, rave reviews, and, you know, it was in People and Entertainment Weekly and Hollywood Reporter, and, and it just, it went crazy, it went nuts, it took off, and, and that book, I mean, it hit the New York Times bestseller extended list that year, and, I mean, immediately, and it was, it was nuts, and same in England, so it just, you know, it was like, boy, you well, know. Well, how do you read, now, you're, you're going to do, I don't know when you start book 11, but how do you start the book, I mean, what do you you say to yourself, what am I going to come up with now? What kind of situation, what kind of mysterious situation, and how am I going to resolve it? Do you go, does that go through your mind? Oh, constantly. I mean, I think, you know, you're always, as an author, you're always looking at things, you're an obsessive observer, so you're always filing things away. You know, I have like all these, you know, books, pages and pages of of, um, ideas, and then you kind of hone in on one, and also, you know, what's going on in current events could contribute to what you do, and then, you know, it's kind of a long process where you start sorting through, but when I have like 
I mean, and PJ and I always wrote this way, and I do alone as well. It's like you kind of get a, a high concept plot idea or just, a, you know, even a high concept, a general idea of what you're writing about, and then you just sit down and start putting words on the page and having fun with it. Um, I, we've never been able to outline. I can't outline. I mean, I don't, my brain doesn't work that way, and I don't understand how people can right. outline, because I always feel like, I mean, aside from the fact that I can't do it, and okay, maybe I'm jealous, but I feel like it really takes away um, some of the magic that you get from total spontaneity. You know, I will literally, up. I think I'm on, I have no idea what chapter I'm on. I'm on like page 300 and something. And every single chapter I write, a new thing pops up. And I'm like, oh my God, that's cool. And then you link it back. So, you know, if I outline, none of this stuff would have ever come to my mind. Mm. It sounds like it's a mess as you're starting, as you're formulating the, the it's novel. It's a mess. You wouldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody, it's funny because it was an event for Lisa Skyline the other day, and somebody asked her, how many rewrites did you do? And she said, oh, countless. Really? Yes, countless. I mean, she was like, you know, and, and I've had, well, I had one author right, tell me she never does rewrites. I, I, yeah, we never did rewrites either. There was only one novel that, um, required a lot of rewriting and finally we just said you know what we're going to start a new one really yeah so and what, ha what happened to that one well i'll tell you what happened to it it actually got used as everything does um it was after Snowblind, which was the fourth book in the series right. and we wrote um an entire complete entire manuscript and it just there were so many things that were wrong with it and it was a little bit disconnected and I guess I attribute that to the fact that um, there was a lot of um, you know drama in our lives. PJ had just been diagnosed with severe heart failure. I had just moved back from LA. They had just moved houses so I mean our brains were a wreck. I mean we were a mess mm -hmm. and very emotional um, so although the plot wasn't coming together there were great characters and a ton of emotion, and I think kind of in a way dealing with loss and grief, because at that time in our lives, you know, we both were, and um, we thought, you know, we can't do a page one rewrite, so we totally went off and wrote what became Shoot to Thrill. So, you know, years later, um, when PJ was quite ill, I said, you know what, let's resurrect that old book and see what we can do and you know in retrospect and you know the gift of time right we were able we had a whole new perspective and it just seems so easy to add the elements we needed and retool the entire thing and um we did and you know added a serial killer and all kinds of different elements and that book actually became nothing stays buried so um and that was the last book yeah, and that's the one you came out really quickly after the one before. Yeah, right. Six idea and nothing stays buried. And, you know, about uh, nothing stays buried, um, I because PJ was so ill, it was really difficult for her to do a lot of writing. And so I'd kind of taken over the helm and, you know, doing the heavy lifting, of course, that's what you do. And right. so all, the entire retooling and the additions and the rewrites, I, I did, you know, primarily, you know, on my own, but it's a special book because there was so much of PJ in it, you know, so many of her characters and, and, you know, so much of her brilliance, so even though the second iteration of the book 
you know, was, you know, mm-hmm. largely mine. Um, she's just really so in that book. And, you know, we were writing the book when she was still, you know, healthy. I mean, she was that, you know, she wasn't healthy, but was still writing really well and, and really fast. So it's a special book to me. Right. Now, when you went to, when you go to um, book events, now you... The first one without her, that must have been hard for you. I mean, you must I mean, you must have been approached by everybody at those events, and you know. To well, it really it was. I mean, I was it was you know I was no stranger to doing events alone because of the last probably three years before she passed, um, she wasn't able to be at events. Right. But you know, she's always at home waiting, or I can call her on the phone and told her how it went. So it was, um, you know, we, I guess, I'm not going to say it was funereal going to these things, but, there, you know, there's so much, you know, lovely outpouring and, and condolences and sympathy. But um, just being able to speak about her and share with people was was so much fun. And so it became a celebration instead of kind of a, a dirge. And every event since then, you know, has been like that. And even in interviews, it's been almost two years, but, you know, it's, it's a very obvious question and topic that people want to know. How are you doing this and what was it like? And so, you know, I'm constantly sort of, you know, speaking about it and learning new things and reflecting on the, the entire grief process and how that went. So it was um, difficult in a really great way, and it just keeps getting better. Right. At least the series goes on, and I we we love that. I mean, we, I mean the series you, you can't imagine. I mean, for a little bit there, when I, I didn't, you didn't have a book. I thought, uh oh, did they stop the series? You know, and then it's like then it started again. But it took a while. Yeah, I know. And now number ten, I've actually been really thinking. You know, ten books is a lot, and I will never ever ever give up the Monkey Wrench series. I mean, these characters are you know they're family at this point. Right. But um, I've, you know, been working, you know, for the past few years and have some standalones, you know, good portions, um, many pages of a couple different standalones that I had written. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, maybe now is a really good time to regroup, re-energize, and just do something entirely different. Because, you know, you can get burned out writing a series forever and ever and ever. And, but then, um, and then you write, the problem is you write that other book and then people are like, where's the monkey wrench people? I like those people. <laughs> or, or even worse yet, they'll say, we love these characters, is it going to be a series? Yeah. Oh, yeah, then yeah, then you're stuck with two series, and then that's, exactly. I say stuck. You go back and forth, you're like, oh, I, I don't know how writers write two and three different series. I mean, uh, well, I mean, they're, they're, I don't know how you do it. I mean, David Baldacci's got like seven different series. I mean, how I does know, he do it? I know, and John Sanford, I mean, everybody does, but I think, you know, really there is that burnout point where it's like you want to explore, you know, you kind of want to kick up your heels and get totally different characters. But do you ever get it mixed up? I wonder if they ever get it mixed up. They, they started attributing one to another or something. I mean, does that ever happen? Is it? Oh, I guarantee it. I mean, I'm sure, David, that you've read, you know, multiple series by authors right. and found yourself saying, hmm, gee, this person suddenly sounding like the person from two right. series ago. Yeah, and, and you wonder how they, 
How they do, how do you keep it fresh? And keeping a series fresh is difficult. I mean, it's not an easy thing to do. I mean, I've read series that get dull after a while. It's like okay. Yeah, I know. And Lauren, I think that's part of the reason that authors do branch out and, you know, write something else, because it's like, you know, you are beholden to your characters in a series, and you can't, you know, there are no surprises about how they're going to react, you know, or behave. I mean, you can change their circumstances and show, you know, how they're reacting to, you know, something new in their lives, for instance, a pregnancy, a loss, whatever, but, you know, they're still the characters, I mean, they're still the core values and you can't go flying off the handle, and that's probably, you know, part of the seduction of doing a standalone or a different series is that you can totally explore something else. Exactly. And, like, Nora Robertson, her new in-death book, I got an email about her new book. New, they have some kind of a contest going on where you buy the book and there's some kind of a 800 number you call for clues to where money is hidden or something. And it's like, wow, what a cool thing is that. Is it real money you can find? Yes. And it's, coin. <laughs> but it's like, wow, why does Nora Roberts get that and nobody else does, you know? <laughs> well, probably she had really great PR people. I mean, she's she's got to be... She's got to be pretty wealthy at this point. I mean, good God. God, I'm sure she is. But, I mean, she must have 17 estates in, like, 17 different states or something. <laughs> and then 17 authors in her stable writing. You know, and 17 books a year. You get to, you, you, and you go online, you think, because I always go online and I think, oh, who can I interview next? Who can I, who can I write to? And maybe they'll write back to me. So I tried to write to Dean Coons. Of course, I didn't hear a word back from him. You know, you don't, you don't even get a response unless you write to him by mail. I mean, oh, really? He responds to mail? Yes, he does. I, I got a letter that was dripping blood one time. What? But it wasn't real blood, though. It just looked like it was dripping blood. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> or ketchup stain. He was eating a hot dog. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, it could have been. You know, but it's like... Well, but it's it's almost a challenge to go. How can I? What can I do? Like when I went after Patricia Cuomo, I thought, well, how am I ever going to interview Patricia Cuomo? It's just not going to happen. And then for some reason, I found her agent online. It was a man or agent or, or assistant or something, and he said, "I'll get you the interview." And he got it for me. Oh, you're kidding! That's a, well, I remember you had interviewed her. Is that and it was, what a thrill! I, mean, I didn't even what to say to her. I'm like, "What's she going to be like? Is she going to be really tough?" And uh, well, what's she like? She was great. She was Aww. very easy to talk to, very appreciative, very sweet. And she she talked about how she didn't want to age. And I thought that was really, really honest and really... That is honest. And I thought, wow. You know, and, and she's, I think she's 60 by now. I'm, I'm, I think well, she's... Must- but I, it was such a thrill to talk to her. Well, and, and really you're doing your own kind of detective work in a way, trying to figure out, you know, solve the puzzle. How am I getting get to this person or get at You think to yourself... But I thought, why would she let me interview? I couldn't even imagine why. What was it I said to this guy that made it seem like that it was okay? Because, you know, when you get to her level of notoriety, you, you know, the crackpots want to, want to, you know, they want to, they're all over you. Or they, you can only imagine how she gets approached at events. She's got bodyguards. Oh, yeah. well, I'm sure she does. But, I mean, yeah, I mean the to interview a guy with a person with bodyguards, that's very difficult to get that kind of an interview. <laughs> I mean, Michelle Obama's got a book out. You know, the chances of me getting an interview with her are about a one in a billion. Well, she doesn't know the magic of David English. <laughs> that's right. I'm going to start spreading the word. Are you really? Good. Good. Of course. Well, of course. Make sure you talk to Dean Coons, though. If you... <laughs> I, you know, and it's so funny. 
funny because I don't know if you knew, and I, I'm so sorry, I can't even remember the name of the bookstore. It's a very old, um, just a great bookstore in Orange County, California. Book, book Carnival. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, Pat and Ed. And they were so, you know, they were awesome, and it was so much fun to go on tour there. But, um, you know, T. Jefferson Parker and Dean Koontz were, you know, they're in Orange County, so they would always come, and they would always talk about how wonderful and sweet and accessible, and, you know, Dean Koontz would come and do a huge event there and have, you know, a barbecue and all that stuff. So that's how I envision him, you know, being really accessible and open, but, you know, Maybe not. And the funny thing is, I a friend of mine who he was he was a driver at the time, and he said he was at this bookstore, and Dean Koontz was signing there. And I said, "What?" I said, "Did you get it?" And he he wasn't even excited about it. Oh, <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, whatever." I mean, do you know what? And I said to him, "Do you know what I would give to have a, 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 a to be able to meet Dean Koontz?" Uh, it's like, you just ruined my day now. I mean, to tell me I mean, that. What an ingrate. It was totally wasted on him. I mean, it's like, I've read so many Dean Koontz novels, I feel like I know the man. I feel like he's a brother of mine. I know. Well, no, Dean Koontz has got to be getting up there. Yeah, I think he's 71. In fact, I was looking at his age the other day, curious about, because he's got this great new series with Jane Hawk that's out. That's just incredible. Oh, good. I'll have to get it. <laughs> Is it right. under his name? Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, it's under his <laughs> <laughs> Well, you never know. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the first question I'd probably ask him. How many different names did you write under? Yeah, I, I wonder. It's at least five or six, if right. not more. See, I, I could have read one and not known. It that's was right. a him. <laughs> that's right, you, you might not have known it. And you oh, can't yeah. always tell. If you don't know that it's Dean Coons, you're not even going to think Dean Coons. No, unless you're like, gee, this, this reminds me of Dean Coons. <laughs> Maybe he was inspired by Dean. So do you have a title for the 10th one yet? Well, I have a working title. And it's called The Dead City. The Dead City. It may... You like that you like that dead in in your in your books. Well, it's just <clears throat> the dead city is actually the name of a German opera that I like and it kind of slid in and then it also slid in with another aspect and so I just kind of called it that for a working title. And then I mean PJ and I were horrible at coming up with titles always and you know I'm you know I'm keeping up that tradition but I kind of liked it and so you know I'd sent sent that off to the publishers in the UK and the US and they're like eh, yeah we don't really like it and I'm like oh, oh but I thought it was so cool. And that's what authors say, working title. That means they can change it any moment they want. Yeah, right, <laughs> up until it gets printed, you know? And, and titles are, I mean, it's funny because John Sanford told me, he says, I, all his prey series, he said, I didn't name one of those books. The no, old, no. The I publisher mean, does it for him. Yeah, usually because, I mean, I remember going back and forth with, you know, my agent and editor, and we'd, like, you know, bad back things, and we all came up with, like, tons of really horrible ideas, and then ultimately we'll settle on one. And I can't really think of any time that, you know, we're really, really stoked about a title. I mean, it, you know, after it comes out, it's like, oh, yeah, that's a cool title, but titles are tough. Because you don't know, you know, you may, you know, it's like writing, you may perceive it one way and think it's super cool, but then somebody else can say, God, what a dog. Yeah, exactly. It's all, it's all, a, it's all in the, you know, what people like, you know. I mean, why are, why are there so many Big Bang Theory fans? There's tons and tons, millions and millions of people who love that show. And yeah, I just, I never got that. I mean, I don't watch 
tons of TV, but I, you know, I watched a few and I was like, mm, well, yeah. But Leonard is so, na- he's so nasty to people sometimes. I just want to All slap right. him half the time I watch the show. <laughs> I know. Like, you, you don't want to raise your voice. All blood. you can think about is, why doesn't this person have manners, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you cretin. <laughs> he is a cretin. <laughs> and, you know, that, it's, it's weird how your mind works. I mean, either, either like a character you don't. I mean, Columbo. We all love Columbo. We love Columbo, and we loved... Um... But Columbo, we always knew who the murderer was. You never, right. except for one episode. There's one episode where you didn't know the murderer. I can't, you know, I was pretty young when that was on, but I would Probably two, you know? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> I just remember the Columbo where there was a, a severed hand clawing its way across the floor. Yeah. Do you remember that? No, you know what, I don't. No, it's like so vivid. And I thought, you know, I mean, years later, I was, you know, PJ and I were chatting, and I was like, that was, that was um, Night Gallery, wasn't it? And she was like, no, it was Columbo. You know, and it was obviously, you know, a trip. Maybe it was Twilight Zone or The Outer Limits. Or something. <laughs> well, that's what I thought. She was like, no, it was Columbo. So, I don't know, maybe some of the... Well, I, you know, my brother's an expert on Columbo. I'll ask him about that. He you let him know and send me an email, and, like, if there are any listeners who know if that really was Columbo, you know, let us know. <laughs> but we fall, you fall in love with these characters. I mean, Hannibal Lecter, I mean, the list goes on and on and on of memorable characters you can't get out of your head. And, you know, and... and and James Patterson never stopped writing Alice Cross because people love Alice Cross, you know, and they symbolize something. Or Jack Reacher, you I mean, the, on and on and on about these. You'll never be, be able to stop, re, you know, writing these characters. Well, I think that if you actually make a connection with the readers, you really can't stop, you know. I mean, because they become a part of people's lives, too, just like they're a part of yours. You know, I always joke that I feel like, you know, come Christmas time, why am I not getting cards from, you know, Annie and Harley and Grace and McGosey? You know, you just expect, it's like, yeah, they're friends. They're going to come over for a party. And it's like, oh, no, they're fictitious. I'm totally insane. But I mean, I think that, you know, readers do. I mean, we all get attached to characters and... You know, you never... You well, your never, characters are very quirky because uh, some of them are very... They, they don't want to be bothered with other people. Right. Yeah, exactly. What they, we're like hermits. Almost right. like hermits. Part of the magic about writing a good character, I mean, there are a lot of aspects to it, but I think part of it is having them display traits that a lot of people probably would like to, but they can't. Because it's antisocial, or it's rude, or it's boorish, or something like that. So I think, you know, there's a little bit of... I mean, um, what would it be like to be like Meryl Streep when everybody wants a piece of you? Everybody wants you to work for them. Everybody wants you to do this. And, and you, you imagine you come home from work, and you're real tired. You've had a real hard, hard day at the set, and there's people lurking in your bushes watching you. You know, I think there's probably two answers, and I'm sure every celeb is different, but I think one, you know, they're absolutely miserable, and they either end up like drug addicts or they quit the biz, and then I think that there are probably people that are maybe just become so narcissistic and egomaniacal, they secretly love it. You think? And I mean, is fame an addiction? I mean, are, are you are you addicted at all to being famous? No, not at all. I think it's you know it's a horrible thing. I mean, people in your bushes, it's a violation. I'm a very private person. I mean, do, I mean, pe- do people know where you live, and do, do, do they do they people point it out and say that's where PJ Tracy lives? They no, write those well, who knows? weird monkey wrench books. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people know where I live. 
than who I am, but I mean, I'm in rural Minnesota in this very be- beautiful bucolic place, and people are just super polite here, and you know, they never would, you know, in a million years dream of, you know, encroaching well, on... Who was, who was it that came from Minnesota? John Sanford? Tammy yeah, Hogue? Guys, Tammy oh, Hogue? William Ken Kruger. Oh, yeah? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, there are tons of Minnesota authors. Brian Freeman. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on. I mean, what are you going to do, David, when it's like 20 below? All winter long, you're like, well, I might as well write. <laughs> do one of two things. You write or the other or thing. Or drink or Or have else. sex, you know? Again, <laughs> then have sex. <laughs> Speaking of, yeah, I mean, you're, this is one of the best author pictures you have on your book. She looks so elegant in this picture. You. And your your hair's you look so good with really short hair like that. Oh, you know, it was finally time. It's like you know, I always feel like people kind of reinvent themselves. Like every ten years, something happens in your life, and there's a big change. People must look at it and think she's not crying or anything. Why isn't she crying? Her mom's. Not- <laughs> 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 it's like what? She's oh, she's smiling, you know. Did she, did she take over the series, and now she's just like this ego maniacal, you know? I've, right. I've got, I've got it now. She looks so happy. Oh my god! <laughs> but it's like it's like VC Andrews. They're still doing VC Andrews books, and VC Andrews has been dead for how many years now? Oh my god! Well, they do that, and and Robert Ludlum, and and Robert uh, Parker, and Vince I mean, Lynn now. I mean, it's just it's just gotten so pervasive. Yeah, well, they take over the franchise, you know, and they and, have... And do you really believe that somebody's not going to come up with a Z title for Sue Grafton and finish that series? Well, actually, that was really specific in her estate, but absolutely under no circumstances was there But somebody's ever... going to... You, you throw enough money some people's, some person's way, and they're going to do it. They're going to find yeah. a way. Probably not her children, but maybe her grandkids. Or... Don't you think? I mean, and, and it's so sad that she didn't get to do Z. I know. Well, what was she on when she passed? She got to Y. Oh, she got to Y. Oh, yeah. that is sad. But, but know, when I, when I talked to her when Y came out, and she had ideas for Z. She told me she did. Oh, you're kidding. No, she had cancer, didn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and she was pretty young. And it was awful because people online were saying she was dead already, and it was awful. Oh, my God. What a God. horrible no, thing. Well, she was only in her 60s, though, right? I think it was just one person, but, yeah, she was really, really upset about that. Um, oh, my God. No, no, I think she was in her, I think she may have been in her 70s. I think oh, she okay. made it in the 70s. I'm not sure. I'm not sure the exact age. Late 60s, early 70s, I'm not sure which. I can't remember now. You know what? I, I will always remember uh, Sue Grafton is, I, I think it was in the 80s, and it was some magazine, you know, where they have the back page interview with somebody, you know. Right. You know, whatever. And it was with Sue Grafton. She was probably on, like, G at that time. But they were asking her what her favorite snack was. And she said, peanut butter and sweet pickle sandwiches. Right. And I will never forget that because that's what PJ loved. And she had it for lunch, like, almost every day of her life. Right. Now, are you going to be featured at all in Mystery Scene magazine? Have they, have they contacted you at all about doing an interview? In, which magazine? It's called Mystery Scene Yes, I am. In fact, yes. And I think, let me consult my folder. Um, I did miss, I think they're doing an excerpt. Oh, really? Mystery Reader's Journal I'm doing. I have to look because that's a good, in suspense. Well, that's such a great, do you get it? Do you get a subscription to it? I don't know, and I got criminal element. No, you know what, David? No, mystery scene. Okay, let me write that down. Oh, you gotta, you gotta contact them. 
Okay, I, I will do that. Mystery scene. So it's an online then? Yeah, the woman who runs it, is, her name's Kate Stein, S-T-E-I-N. Okay. And it's a, no, it's a, it's a physical magazine. I mean, I'm sure they do online too. Yeah, I think they have an online site and everything. Oh my gosh, well, I will get in touch with her. I can't believe it, that at some point she hasn't gotten in touch with you or tried to get an interview with you, at well, least. Well, you know what, I'll just, I'm going to get to get that. You've got to get in that magazine. I will. I will do that. Well, I'll just uh, send them, shoot an email when we're finished here to the public and say, hey, got to get it with a sign. Okay, with Kate Stein's a sweet lady, and I can't believe she would say, no, you're not big enough or something, you know? Yeah, right. It's like, no, I don't think so. But, you see, that's what I deal with, because I'm, I'm just a small interviewer, and yet, and then people will say, you know, why? Should, but then again, I've interviewed Shirley Jones. Why would Shirley Jones agree to an interview with me? Oh, my gosh, I loved her. But it's like, and it makes no sense. I mean, how did I get these interviews? What kind of, what kind of weirdo am I that I can get those and, and yet I can't get the ones that I really want, like Lee Child. God, I would love to interview Lee Child again. But, I mean, it's been so many years, I don't even remember what it would be like to interview him anymore. And he's, you can't really approach him. His, his publicist is, you know, you may hear from him, you may not, you know, and. Right. You know, I think it was Bowser Khan, 2004, Lee Childline, a bunch of authors, had some cocktails after the award ceremony. Lost yeah. them. I wish I'd known I would have had you ask him for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know we didn't. You get, them, you get them drunk and they'll agree to anything. You know? Well, yeah, we were on the bar till like four, I swear to God. And Lee Child's like seven foot seven inches tall. He's huge. He is really tall. I mean, I had on, like, four-inch heels that night, so but, he doesn't seem as I tall. Wish like, I yeah, know. really tall. Was Dean Coons there that night, too? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, he wasn't. I am going to BoucherCon, actually, in, in Florida in September, so I'll see who I see. Will you please tell people that it's okay to inter that I interview them or that I, won't, I don't bite? I'm going to get a T-shirt made, and it's like, God darn it, interview with David English. He's awesome. That's right. That's a great <laughs> idea. Well, I, well, I'll do it. I'm, I'm actually on a panel about writing techno thrillers. So I'll just, you know, Who's on your panel? Do you remember? What? Do you remember who's on the panel? I don't remember, but... Um, technical. I'm trying to think who writes techni techno thrillers. Yeah, I didn't really recognize any, you know, names. That's not, you know, that doesn't but mean do you, much. But do you actually read the other authors before the event so you, you're aware of what they've written? No. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's honesty for you. No, no, I don't. What do you mean, do I read them? No, and it's not because I don't want to. It's just because I, I cannot, I can't read anything but nonfiction when I'm writing. I just can't. I mean, really? I would normally, you know, if I wasn't on deadline right now, but, you know, I just can't. I'll read nonfiction so, or cookbooks. So we're going to see a, a new Monkey Ranch novel every year now. Well, you're going to see a new Monkey Wrench number 10 next year, and then we'll see what happens. It could be number 11. Oh, wait, wait. There, there isn't, there, you're not sure there's going to be a number 11? No, there will be a number 11, but like I said, I may do a standalone. Oh, okay. So why, well, Maybe I you could know. write me the number 11, just in case. There will be, there will be like number 12. I'll write Monkey Wrench until I am in my grave. My goal is to be dedicated in some book somewhere by an author. Somebody... <laughs> Have, and I know Lisa Scottie, I've known her for 30 years. She's never dedicated one of her books to me. What? I feel like calling her and saying, what do I have to do to get you to dedicate a book to me? Well, I don't know. It's something you're not doing. Maybe if I lose all my hair, will that do it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> you just wonder, what, you know, what would it take? 
Because we, the guy that I worked with at the bookstore, he used to get he used, he got such a kick out of being in people's books. People would would use his character, his name in books. And there was one book where they boiled him in oil. And you know what? He loved it. I'll they bet. did. He, and he kept telling me, we're so proud of that. You know, I got boiled in oil in this book. I said, Joe, God, what if that really happens to you? You know, <laughs> you know it's, it's so funny because, um, you know, I always use names of people, you know, that I know or that I ask for it or whatever in books. And uh, absolutely, there has not been one person of like 10 or 15 that didn't say, can I be a killer? They want to be a killer. Really? Yeah. Why would you want to be a killer? I mean, well, I think that goes back to what I was saying earlier about that. You know, people, you know, they they get attached to characters or whatever because they secretly, you know, want. I mean, to do you ever get mad at somebody and then want to use them in one of your books, and so you secretly name them something else and kill them? And it, does that give? Do you ever do that? If I ever got mad at somebody, I would for sure. <laughs> I mean, you just, they would never know it was them, though. They would never know it was them. Or does, or does your family call you and say, wait a minute, this character seems a lot like me. Is that me? And what do you have against me? It is you and you suck. <laughs> it's like, because I know, I mean, like Hardin Coven's got characters he's named after childhood friends. I mean, he's, that are in his books that are, are modeled after some of his childhood friends. Well, I use names or variations of names, but I rarely use, like, you know, I, I never pull somebody out and use their character exactly. I mean, they're kind of an amalgamation of a bunch of different people and, you know, with a good dose of imagination. Because I never want to, you know, to, you know, totally portray somebody accurately. Because, you know, characters are a lot more interesting than real people. Although real people are very interesting. Interesting. That's certainly true. And I work in a supermarket now, so I see a lot of interesting people. I see a lot of interesting things that happen. Oh, David, I, it's like my favorite place in the world to go. If I'm, like, stuck or I just want some inspiration, I will, I'm like a, a grocery store stalker. I will go shopping, and I will just watch everyone. They think I'm nuts. Do you hold like, up? Do you go? Do you take your book and hold it up and say, I wrote this? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't, but they, if they only knew, because, you know, I, I always look at everybody, no matter what, no matter how innocent, a kid, whatever, and I'm like, that person has a secret. And then you watch them and how they behave in public, and you kind of formulate what their secret might be. Right. And so that's been inspiration for oodles of characters over the years, but it's kind of funny. A little sick, twisted, voyeuristic, but, you know, that's me. <laughs> no, it's so I mean, David Baldacci has a really funny story about a, about a, a uh, fan he came in contact with who, who didn't believe it was him on one of the book that he had written with his book, one of his books and stuff. He tell, but the way he tells it, it you, you have to listen to him tell it because it's so hysterical. He, he, he has the, one of the best senses of humor I've ever heard. He came to our store once, and I am telling you, for an hour we were laughing our heads off. He was wonderful. I mean, there's a, a great vein of humor running through. I mean, he smiles a lot, and you think, oh, my God, is this guy like a used car salesman? <laughs> and, and, but he's not. He's, he's this wonderful, wonderful, warm, sweet man. Isn't that great? It is. And, but you don't find that all the time. There are some really, there are nasty authors out there. There, they, there are nasty people in all, all areas, so that's for sure. But, but, but for, for sure, most of the authors that I've ever talked to have been very, very nice. I mean, it's very rare you come across a really nasty one. Yeah, and I've heard that. I mean, when you're on tour and, 
you know, your escorts, your drivers, they're never supposed to speak out of turn. Of course they I remember when I first talked to Tim Green. Now, Tim Green's an author you, you may have never heard of, but no. he he still writes this way. He used to be a football player. Oh, really? And I told him to do an interview because I really liked one of his books. And his wife answered the phone. I'm like, oh, God, now I'm really in trouble. The wife is answering <laughs> for him. And I thought, this is going to be the worst interview ever. And he got on the phone, and you, you could t sense by the first sentence that he did not want to do this interview. Oh, that sucks. That's awful. And I thought, oh, my God, this is going to be the worst ever. And we started talking, and Tracy, and I, I won this man over so well. By the end of the interview, he was telling me who you read. He was telling me how he lies on the beach reading. He was telling me who he He's telling me everything. Oh, good. I felt he, he, it was like he fell in love with me. Oh, well, he did. You're but I was like, at, at some point in the interview, he suddenly realized this man really cares about my books. He's <laughs> not just some stupid interview who's going to ask me, you know, he's going to ask me stupid questions, you know? Right, yeah. Do I you mean, ever uh, get asked stupid questions? Did anybody ever ask you a stupid question and you feel like slapping him? Um, you know, I, I, I do remember PJ and I thinking it's like, God, that was really, you know, the stupid, like, you know, what's your favorite color? Who cares? <laughs> I don't know. I don't even have a favorite color. I do. It's I red. Mean, there, I mean, and that's kind of an example, but I mean, yeah, there have been questions that are silly, but you know, by and large, no, they're, you know, they're, they're thoughtful and like, but you, you know, you the get, answer, you've answered it so many times, you think, well, everybody knows it, but some people don't. And But do you ever get weird, like... Men that come up to you and want your phone number or something? Just the authors. No, <laughs> not, 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 other, not fans, just authors. <laughs> but, I mean, that happens. I'm sure that happens. I worked with, in a bookstore one time, and there was a man who used to come in the store, and, and he would ask for all the ladies that worked there. He, he got all their phone numbers. on the road totally and I, I have a story and and I don't know if this was true I was told by several people I wasn't aware of it but the last time I was at Bauschercon yeah apparently there was a competition between five male authors to see who was the first one who could get my phone number really I don't know if that's true I just that's what I heard from some people did they did the, was there like money flowing over this <laughs> I have no idea because I certainly didn't ask them about it but I'm sitting around with them and going well, I've got it now maybe I could sell it you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah David you're like the first person to get my phone number <laughs> but it's like and that's you know that's another thing that really really makes me happy that I get these people I mean I have I had Loretta Switz phone number and it's like, and who wouldn't want to talk to Loretta Sweat? Oh my God, hot little hen. Yeah, no kidding. The sexual woman of mash, you know. Yeah, <laughs> she's a hottie. But and, you know, and, and I think to myself, I've got these people's phone, and, and you, you just it just blows you away that these people trust you with the phone number. Like they don't even know me. Yeah, but I mean, you're a professional. And, they they, you know, they, they, they assume like, that I'm a professional, but what if I wasn't? Yeah, what if you were a psycho? I mean, I could be, a, I could maybe remember the paparazzi. I don't know if the paparazzi actually call celebrities. I don't think they do. But I, they, I think it's more of a stalking kind of thing. They wait outside your door so you can, like... Right, because they, they know they couldn't reach them. And then if they get that nasty look on your face, even better, we can put that in National Enquirer. See how, they look really awful. See how nasty Loretta uh, Swit really is? Yeah. <laughs>
you know, or some or somebody else. You know, and you think it, 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 it it's such a crazy world out there today. It is. You know, speaking of Loretta Swit, I I was in New Orleans. Gosh, I don't know. It was years and years ago. But I was having lunch on one of those charming balconies, and at the table next to me, down sits Loretta Swit. Really. And, you know, I was like, oh, my God. And she looked fantastic. She looked great. Did you go over and talk to her? I didn't, no. You know, I was just like, you know, let her eat her lunch in peace. I mean, she probably would have enjoyed it, you know, because she'd been, you know, off she's of the... A, she's, a, she's a little bit, I mean, she's very easy to talk to. A little bit. I, I sensed a little fool of herself, just a tiny bit. But it's hard not to be at that age, at her age and what she's been through. And Right, exactly. And, you know, the Hollywood thing, it certainly, you know... Mold people well, in a very a, It's different like way. they say with Oprah. I, I, somebody said they they were at a restaurant. And Oprah was there, and they they told the people there, "Don't approach Oprah. Don't talk to Oprah." Yeah, that's creepy, isn't it? I mean, I get it, but it's like that's you get cool. it, but it's like, wait a minute, Oprah. I thought everybody knows Oprah. Why couldn't we go up and just say hello to her? Good yeah, God. Isn't it disappointing. I mean, it's disappointing. It's a bummer. It's not like I'm going to say you you look fat or something, or you know. <laughs> But it's, it's weird. I mean, and my friend told me he, she was at a, a ball game one time, and John Grisham was there, and he was in this enclosure. And I said, Elizabeth, I would have gone up and knocked on that enclosure. And how many chances do you get to meet John Grisham? Right. Let me in. Let me in. It's like, and what are they going to do? All they can do is say no. Right. Exactly. And you feel foolish. But so what? At least you've gotten a chance to meet him. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's been so much fun to talk to you. You too, David. A delight as always. It's just we've gone on and on and on. My interview has to end at some point, I guess. The book again is called The Guilty Dead. It's out in Crooked Lane Books. It's number nine. You're working on number ten. There's going to be an eleven. God, I can't wait till fifteen. <laughs> I can't wait either. I hope I live that long. But this has been David's Book Talk, and we'll talk to you next time. You have just enjoyed the podcast of David's Book Talk. Brought to you by your host, book lover, David English. Please visit us at davidbooktalk.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe to our podcast. We want to hear from you, and we don't want you to miss our upcoming shows with top authors like Mary Higgins Clark, Patricia Cornwell, Lisa Scottolini, Jackie Collins, Nelson DeMille, Michael Connolly, Sue Grafton, Steve Martini, Dale Brown, Oh, that's